The following audio is from our sermon series titled, We Are the Church, Our Identity, Our Values, Our Community. For more information about Harvest City Church, please visit our website at harvest.city. I'm going to pray for us. We'll jump right into God's word this morning. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for this time together in worship. Thank you so much for the reading of your word. And God, I pray this morning you would speak to our hearts. I pray this morning, God, you would orient our minds and hearts around your goodness and your grace and your love and um, the excellency of your will and, and the knowledge of who you are. I pray that, God, today we would leave here encouraged. I pray that, God, we leave here knowing you are with us and forced. And I pray this morning, God, we would leave here um, more full of Jesus and seeing Jesus Christ more clearly for who he is. So I pray, God, this morning, would you even heal us, God? There's some ears in our hearts that we need healing, God, from some just deep wounds from childhood maybe or growing up. So, God, will you just um, heal us as well as we hear the preaching of your word go forth this morning, that you make everything work together for our good and bring it out for your glory. I pray that be heard very clearly this morning, God, and we would leave here again full of encouragement and full of faith in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we've been going through a series called We Are the Church, and we've hit these topics, many topics, on the last couple weeks. So we've talked about Christ having authority over all, a cop priest said last week, talked about church being a community, talked about gifting within the church, talked about how we should respond to leaders within the church and how leaders should respond to the church body at large, talked about how we live through the grace of God. And all those things are internal things that we talk about. How do we function internally as a body in uh, the corporate gathering in the body of Christ as a church? Um, very much internal family ins and outs and inner workings of those sermons. This morning, I'm going to talk about something that's more outward facing that still involves us as Christ Christians, as God's people, as a church, um, but actually deal with more than just us being here together as previous sermons did, but actually how do we live and face a hostile world? How do we live and face a world broken by sin? How do we live and do life and stay encouraged? And how do we trust God in the midst of a painful, broken world? So this morning, we're talking about um, being sustained through suffering, talking about how God sustains us through suffering. Before we get to the text, I just kind of want to put God in perspective for a moment for us, like so we can see God clearly, so that way we, like, when we get to the text, we can oh, like, oh, he, he's good. So like these things are, are good because he's good, right? Um, and my goal simply is in this moment, it's like just to brag on who Jesus is like who the man Christ is. So right now, um, you can't see it. I can't see it. None of us can hear it. But right now, at this very moment, there are created beings, angels, and elders who are worshiping God Almighty around his throne at this very moment where angels are crying. They're all crying, holy, holy, holy. Elders are putting their crowns down before Christ and saying, you are worthy of these crowns. We are not. And they are worshiping God because he is beautiful and holy and excellent. They've come to understand, hey, God, you are, like, magnificent. You are incredible. These beings, these elders who are worshiping right now, according to Revelation, um, they have not been brainwashed at all. They are not worshiping God because they've been forced to unjustly, but they are worshiping God because they've seen, hey, you are Awesome, like it is their joy and their pleasure and their delight to actually say to God, hey, you are like God. Like we can't find anybody like you among ourselves or in the universe. Like God, you are God. Like you 
are pleasing to us because of who you are. Like God, we love to be in your presence, God. We love to worship you. We're pronouncing you are excellent in all your ways. They are saying to him, God, we delight in you because of who you are. Therefore, we have no choice but to worship. And he is worthy of all worship. Who else could call the universe into being? Who else could make the sun, the moons, and the stars shine? Who else could uphold the universe by the power of his word? My kids won't eat their veggies if I say eat their veggies. Like, my word is, like, real small, right? But like, so let alone, like, hold the universe up. Who else could hold the universe up with the power of his word and keep the universe perfectly organized and, like, unchaotic? Who else could do that but God? They're not worshiping, and we don't worship a God who is distant or far. We worship a God who has revealed himself to us, namely in Jesus Christ, right? And Jesus said, hey, all authority on heaven and earth was given to him. So when we, when we sing and worship Jesus, like, we're not just singing to, like, some, some normal dude we met on the basketball court or we met in the mall or met, you know what I mean, at the coffee shop. Like, all authority rests in Jesus' hand. Every ounce of power, every ounce of majesty, every ounce of whatever we could think of, it all rests in the hands of Jesus. And we worship him, not because we're fortunate, because he is worthy and beautiful and we delight in him. This is the God that we serve and we sing to and we love and we honor. He called himself Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the ending. He is the first and the last. Press pause on that. If, if God, that is true about God. So for us, it means if he is Alpha and Omega, which is a way of saying he's the first, like he's saying something over and over again, right? Alpha and Omega, first, last, beginning, then like he, ex- he, he expands time and space and eternity where he doesn't come into being ever. He doesn't ever stop being. He is completely, eternally God. He works within time, but he is outside of time himself, which means us who have been put in time, right? If he's Alpha, Omega, beginning and ending, that means there's no moment of your life he's not present. No moment of your life or my life, he's not present. He, he, he was there at your birth. At the same time, he's standing there like waiting for you to cross over and go into eternity. This is the God that we serve. Like, like mind-blowing, almost unbelievably, like unbelievable who God is. Like God, this is somewhat hard to like even think on his majesty and his grace, this same God that we love and we worship, he, he works everything after, after the counsel of his own will. He, the Bible says that the foolishness of God, if there be any, is wiser than our wisdom. Like, if God's being silly, he's still smarter than us on our best day. And if God were ever weak, he's still stronger than us on, on our strongest day. Like, the weakness of God is stronger than the strength of man. He is totally separate from who we are. This is the God that we sing to and we pray to and we know and we love and who loves us and who saved us and called us to himself in Jesus Christ. Now, God's talking to Job <laughs> after all Job goes through um, and he tells Job, said to Job, Job, were, basically, were you there when I created the earth? Like, Job, were you, were you my like? My, my, my counselor, were you my like consultant? Job, did you like, like give me any, any, any know-hows of how to make the world? Like, like Job, like, come on, like, like, let's talk. Like, Job, like, were you there? 
Like, can you, like, counsel or confront me, Job? What he's saying is, Job, you are tiny guy, really small. But it also says, like, there's a God who loves and who, like, knows how to lay the foundation of the world for us to a place we don't have to be present. And, of course, Job loses the argument, right? But, like, the question is, hey, were you there? And even for us, like, hey, like, who, like, can any of us counsel God? Has God ever called you for advice? Anybody? Tweet tweeted at you, Facebook, DM'd you, hey, man, rough day, got a lot going on up here. Anybody got some? No? No? He doesn't have to. Because he's God Almighty. And this is the God that we get to understand in the context of suffering in the context of being a Christian and living the Christian life. Paul's writing to the Roman church, and the Roman church is living in the most hostile, probably, environment known to man. Um, the Roman government is the most corrupt government, probably, that the world's ever seen. They are the most brutal, the most intolerant. Like, the Roman government, is, it's, it's a rough place to live and to be under the Roman government. Um, they're killing Christians. They're like you know, burn their houses down. They're really persecuting and beating up Christians. Like, not like, oh, like really hurt, like they're, like they're dying. Like the Apostle Paul said, yeah, like I used to kill Christians before I became a Christian. Like, that's the environment that the Christians at the moment are living in. And Paul's going to begin to write to this church a great theological discourse about what it means to be saved and to be in Christ and to be justified and to be sanctified and to be glorified and all these deep, beautiful truths. But Paul Pause and talk to them about, hey, what it means to suffer well in their time, in their day, in their moment. I think for us, if we can hear clearly this morning, it'll teach us how we can suffer and go through pain, and even persecution when it comes, right, in our current and present day. But beyond that, right, just like how to deal with normal life stuff, normal life stuff. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy uh, com- worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. Here is a commentary by W.B. Ederman, the Epistle to the Romans. He says this, Paul holds that believers must expect suffering in this present age. There is suffering, suffering that is direct result of our sinning, and there is suffering that we endure for Christ's sake. Suffering that arises directly from our Christian profession is a world that rejects Christ. But beyond that, there is suffering that arises simply because we are in an imperfect world. Paul's realistic. There is no reason to think that Christians will not be free. Christians will be free from troubles in this present life. It is important, therefore, that they learn how to bear them. He says there so beautifully um, that, that we, we suffer because we don't live in a perfect world. Like, check that box. Like, we get it. The world's not perfect. Like, you, your best plan, my best plan for my life, your life, is going to be submitted to a broken and frail world. So, so we suffer because we just live in a broken world that's, like, like, dead because of sin. And so we can expect to suffer. And suffering looks so many different ways. Suffering comes in so many different forms, but we all suffer. And the baseline is, if nothing else, because this world is broken. This world's not perfect, and this world does not submit itself to who Jesus is. 
Paul is not saying to them, cheer up, uh, buckle up, you'll get through it. Like, it's not a pep talk. Paul can write them from his own personal experience. Oftentimes, Paul wrote these letters from prison. So he's a firsthand witness of not only persecution and suffering, but the sustaining grace of God in the midst of persecution and suffering, which makes all the more what Paul's saying more, more powerful and that much more real. And basically what Paul's saying in that verse is, hey, like, what you're going through now will not be able to compare to what happens on the other side of what you're going through. That's both now, presently, and in eternity, right? Like the life we live, how we suffer now, the brokenness, the pain, the death that we experience, like the, the, the just the being in this world, what we experience now, like when we turn the corner of eternity, like there is nothing that could compare to what God will show us in eternity, but also what God can show us now, how the glory of God can be shined to us now in the midst of our suffering and our pain and our heartache. God, Paul says, has good things in store for his people. Things that are pretty much unimaginable. Like God says he can do exceedingly and abundantly above all we could ask or think. Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard what God has planned for us now and in eternity. Like we have a joy and a hope now because of, in the midst of our suffering and our pain. Paul says it can't compare to the glory that's going to be revealed. When we suffer, here's a sermon, when we suffer in any form, um, at the end of the road, God is planning to show off his glory. That's the end, like that, that, that is, that's, that's the game. Like that, that's it. That's, that's the Christian life. That's life. This is it. That, that God wants to show off his glory. Now the glory of God is very, very expensive, almost to the point we can't describe the glory of God in human words, but I'll try my best to explain it right now. There is glory that God gets when we worship and sing and we say, aha, you're worthy, we love you, and we direct our praise to him directly. But there's a revealing glory that God gets simply by being present with us as we go through our suffering. So when we are suffering and we're going through times of heartache and pain, God's glory shines as God's comforting presence. That's his glory being revealed. God's glory shine and the peace that passes all understanding, right? That's God's glory being revealed. Like being able to be sustained and like hold up and make it through life is a part of God's glory being revealed to us. And in eternity, we'll have it revealed fully, 24-7 at all times. So the reason why we suffer is because God is going to show us and is showing us his glory. When pain comes, when trouble comes, it's because God wants to show us something else about himself that we need to see. Otherwise, we're not seeing unless we went through pain and suffering. Paul says, this is Ederman again in the commentary, he says, the glory will be revealed, not created. The glory will be revealed, not created. The implication is that it already exists. It's just not apparent, end quote. This is Dominique. This, that means like seeing God's glory is process. Like the glory's already like, like he's not making it. it. It has to be revealed to us and it will be revealed to us. Like, let's, like it is, it is an existence and he revealed to us over and over and over again, but it is in the midst of the process of pain and suffering. I'm going to like summarize verses 
and keep going um, to get to my main points in here in a minute. Um, look at verses 19 to 26. We won't read them all. Um, but pretty much it says, all of creation is in constant suffering. That's how you can summarize that. All of creation, he says, is groaning, it's aching, it's been subject to futility, uh, it's in bondage to corruption. Like, all of creation, all, everyone, everything in the universe is all, we all suffer in the same way. We were saying, God, would you please, like, fix this place? <laughs> like, God, would you please, like, just make it right? Like, God, would you please just reveal yourself and eradicate sin in the world? Like, God, we just want to be free to worship and to be in the midst of your glory. All of creation is groaning. Seasons are groaning. Animals are groaning. Humans are groaning. We are all groaning together. And in some crazy way, the universe itself is groaning because it is affected by the sin of man as well. And creation waits for the glory of God. Look at the end of verse 20, Romans 8. Um, last two words is in hope. Move my next point through. God always offers us a message of hope in the midst of our suffering. Look from Genesis to Revelation. You will never not see God give Israel or us a message of hope. It's always there. Always there. Always there. Always there. God's offering us at all times in the midst of our suffering. It is Hope. Look at the end of verse, uh, look at verse 24. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for we, who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So like there is hope on the way. It's always like what we're happening, it's happening in our life. Like there's always a moment of where God says, listen, I will not leave you to be beat up and like to be just shaken by life. I will always come and bring you a word of hope. Now that comes different forms, different ways, mainly through scripture. But God will always give us a message of hope. It could be a friend that sends you a, a, a text message with a verse in it. It could be somebody that calls you in pressure. It could be a song you hear on the radio. It could be several things, but God will always send a message of hope. This is Jeremiah 20, uh, 29, 11. Um, God's talking to Israel. They've been exiled, and he says to them, won't be on the screens, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. God's telling Israel. Now, they've been taken from their home to a strange land to deal with, in their mind, strange people, dealing with strange kings who do not see them as people, who, do not, who don't really reverence and care for Israel. They are in bondage to where they're going, which is Babylon. And God speaks to them through the pain and the suffering. And what he said before, that 11 is pretty much, hey, camp out. You're suffering? Like, like, pitch your tent. Like, he says, like, seek the well-being of this city, because if this city prospers, then you'll prosper, which means, like, God is not going to, like, shortcut the process ever. He said, I know the place I have for you, but in the meantime, plant yourselves here and do life here. But do know I have a plan for you. And the plan is not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. Um, basically, what he's saying, you will not always face calamity and exile, but you will experience peace and hope and a future that God has promised. God always gives a message of hope. Look at Adam and Eve. They sit in the garden. God comes to the garden. Adam, where are you? You know the whole story, right? And what ends up happening is, he says, listen, 
in, in New Testament terms. Jesus will come. He will save the day. It's a word of hope for Adam and Eve. A word of hope for us. You look over, Jesus had hope. You know, Jesus had hope. He went to the cross in hope and faith and trust. His hope was that, hey, and three, like Jesus didn't open his mouth, didn't defend himself, didn't fight back. He took it. He pissed his tent. He was in the midst of suffering. He like he lived the moment of suffering and like in, in perfection. He said, I, like, I could call angels down and kill all y'all, but I'm not going to do that, right? But he, he suffers. What was the hope? Number one, Jesus knew, like, hey, there's some people who I'm going to save through my death and resurrection. That was one. Number two, Jesus knew I've been beat up, I've been hurt, I've been suffering, but in three days, God will vindicate me and raise me out of the grave, showing to the entire universe, I am the Son of God. Jesus went to the cross knowing that there's a message of hope coming for his personal life in the resurrection. So when we even, so that makes even what Paul's saying that much more real and that much more hopeful and that much more beautiful. God can cause suffering to be in our life. And the world, because it's broken by sin, can make suffering happen. But God always gives us a message of hope. And it is we will never be alone. And God says to Israel, going back to Jeremiah 29, 11, he says to them, I know the plans I have for you. The same way Paul says, can't be compared to the glory that will be revealed to us, like it's already there. He's not saying, I know what I'm planning for you. I'm still like drafting it out. He said, no, 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 no. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not unsure about Israel. I'm not like, uh, I, I know the plans I have for you. What is God saying to him in layman's terms? Hey, in your life, he's not experimenting on you. Ever feel that way, though? Yeah, for, for, for real? You ever feel that way? Like, God, you like, are you, like, you experimenting on me, dude? Like, like be somebody else. Like, I don't want to know about cancer. Like, I don't want, like, I don't want to be the guinea pig, right? I, like, I don't want to hurt. But if we're being honest, sometimes I feel like, God, you are experimenting with my life and I don't understand why. And God's telling them, telling us, no, 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 no. Not experimenting. Like, like, like I know the plans I have for you. I, I, I'm sure about what I'm doing. I am confident in my ways. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. But I'm confident, God says to us, I know what I'm doing. Trust me. Isn't that hard? Isn't that difficult? Isn't that frustrating? Isn't that enraging sometimes? Trust you? What do you mean trust you? See what you put me through? What you've allowed? What the world's doing? What do you mean trust you? It's hard. But when we understand the same way God, which was Adam and Jesus and Job and Israel, is the same way God is with us. If you can point me to one place in the Bible where God fails, I will stop preaching the rest of my life. Anybody show me one place where God failed? Anybody in the Bible? Didn't feel Adam, because Jesus came. Check. Didn't feel Abraham. Why? There was a ram in the bush. Check. Right? Like, like, who has God ever failed? No one. He's never, ever failed, which puts suffering into its perspective. Now, what I'm not saying is suffering doesn't hurt, because it does. That's what makes it suck so much. It hurts. It's, it's tiring, it's weighty, it's draining, it's emotional, it's discouraging, it's depressing. It's like, it, it, it is hard. 
Jesus understands suffering. He got in the garden and said, Father, listen, man, I know we had a, this is my paraphrase, I know we had a plan. Like, I, I get it. Like, I'm going to say some people, like, if this can, like, go a different way, I'll take that option. So Jesus is saying, like, hey, man, this is hard. This is, this is, this is difficult. You want me to, like, be beat? Like, you ever seen Passion of Christ before? Anybody seen that movie? Like, man. Man. So Jesus not, like, being a punk. He knows, like, hey, man, like, can, is there something else we can do, Dad? Like, I just, you know, I feel like there's another way. So, but nonetheless, not my will. Your will. What Jesus is saying, family, is nonetheless, I'll take the pain. Nonetheless, I'll let them beat me. Nonetheless, I'll let them spit on me and put a crown. I, I, I will, nonetheless, I will do it. He takes on the suffering. Because understood the glory of God. But Jesus way down, and he, in that moment before he got to the cross, he was like struggling. He was lonely, looking for his friends. Where y'all at? Pray with me, please. Goes in the garden, come a little further, come back. They're sleeping again. He's like, yo, pray with me. This is, again, my paraphrase. <laughs> like, I, like I, need, I need y'all. <laughs> pray with me. Jesus, he gets all dynamics of suffering. Not every detail, in, like the way we get it specifically in our personal life, but Jesus gets the framework of suffering. But the beauty is, as Jesus learned and we all learn, looking at verse 26, 27, that we are never left alone. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what to pray, as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He searches the hearts. He who searches the heart knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit is always there. And Paul's saying, listen, I know it's hard. I know it gets rough. I know you want to stand firm in Christ. I know that you're, you're being beat up and thrown in jail. I know it. But like, and I know sometimes you don't even have the words to say when you pray. Have been there before? You don't know what to say? You just like, uh, I'm, I'm, God, I'm sitting here and I'm here. That's the best I can do right now. But the, somehow <laughs> the spirit is in there. And finally, when you get those words, they didn't just come from you. They came from the Spirit interceding on our behalf. The Bible says Jesus, the right hand of the Father, always interceding for us, praying for us. We're never left without help. We are never left alone in suffering. The Spirit is there. So now, with that framework, as poorly as I did that, um, like I want to now give us the part that, we all love to celebrate. My favorite verse of it all is 28, right? I want the good news. I want the fun part. I want to know at some point it won't, it won't last forever and you will be okay. 28. And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good. Press pause there. Now. When Paul means, says all things, Paul literally means all things. So literally, every detail 
of your life and my life, your life, my life, has been put together by God for our good, which is what? To see his glory being revealed. So your childhood upbringing, that was an ingredient. Your family of origin, that was an ingredient. Your formative years was an ingredient. The heartbreak you felt in your life, it's an ingredient. Um, like where you live, who your friends were, nothing about you or me, our lives has ever been done in isolation. It's happened for no reason at all. It's all been put together for our good and our growth. Y'all believe that? You believe like God, like God is your path, even though it's hard? So Paul says, everything you're experiencing, the joy, the pain, the ups, the downs, it's all working together for our good. Commentator says, Paul does not explain what he means by good, but we must clearly understand that in the sense, in the sense it is the final good or true good. In the end, it's all good. The tension with that verse is we often think, I often think that means today or tomorrow or in my lifetime. I think that, oh, it'll, God will explain himself to me. I will understand cognitively what's happened in my life, and I'll go, okay, God, great plan, good job, I get it. It's not always how it works. There are some things we'll never understand until we get to heaven. There are some pains we've experienced we will never understand until we get to heaven. The why God question will be answered in eternity in a lot of cases. Why God is silence. For what, God? Silence. Doesn't mean he didn't have an answer. It means even the giving of his answer, the timing of his answer, he knows the best about that as well. Our family right now is going through a really hard time. Uh, my sister-in-law um, is going through some things, and um, it's hard, man. It's hard. And I'm praying, and praying, and we're praying, and we're trying to rejoice. And like our worst nightmare has come, basically come true. And um, we're all going, why God? Why God? It doesn't make sense. God, why would you answer a prayer and then like take the answer of the prayer away? Like, why, God, God, why? And we don't know why. But we believe, though, by faith, at some point, it'll make sense. At some point, it'll all come to, come to light. Why? Because God promises through Paul's writing, all things work together for the good. All things work together for the good, but the road is often rocky. All things work together for our good, but the hills, but there are hills to climb. All things work together for our good, but like we don't get to pick the ingredients of what good looks like. It all works together for our good, and it, because it all leads to Him, and He is good. Go to verse thirty for me. I have one. Go to verse thirty for me. So last word. Last word in verse 30, uh, three words. He also glorified. That word means he finished the work. He perfected, like it, it became complete. So when it's all said and done, it'll all make sense when we are fully glorified the way Jesus is. And that glory leads to what? Oh, we all feel better about life. 
it, 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 it leads to Revelation where those angels are worshiping the living, risen Son of God in His majesty and glory. And when we will worship the living Son of God and His glory. So the good Paul is talking about is ultimately God Himself. It's God Himself. All things work together in our life to get us before God Himself in our present life and for all eternity. And God ultimately is good. Here's why He's good because He's merciful. Why he's good. That's how it all works together far good because we experience his mercy. He's good because he's a comforter. When you're suffering, having a rough time, you need comfort. And guess what? He's a comforter. He's a provider. He doesn't leave us. He's a wonderful counselor. He's the Prince of Peace. He's good because the Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's good because the Bible says that we may endure for a night, but joy will come in the morning. It's good because he says that he's a friend that's just closer than a brother. It's good because we can trust, though his ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts. He ultimately is always good. And it's good for us to be reminded that, listen, who Paul's talking about is not some dead guy on a monument somewhere with a, with a, with a plaque attached to his tomb or his graveside. He's talking about someone who is risen and alive. Our faith, our hope in the goodness of God, our faith, our hope, and you've listened to me for the last 30 minutes, our faith, our hope, and if you've been preaching the sermon, is not a dead hope. It is a living, risen, reigning, righteous hope. And it's Jesus. So when you, and it's hard to believe what Paul's saying, think about the resurrection, which is like the foundation of our faith. It is the resurrection, and he came out of the grave. He is alive and well, and in the resurrection of Jesus, everything holds together. Every word of the Bible holds together in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because in that resurrection, there can be no doubt of who he is and who God is. There is no doubt, because why? God brought him out of the grave. And he, then he showed himself to disciples over and over and over again. Like, showed himself to, like, to be physically, like, we have a count written down. I was like, yeah, we saw him. Like, Thomas, like, yeah, like, man, like, I, I put my hand in the side. Like, like it was him. I love Thomas, by the way. He, nah, listen, Thomas said, listen, I saw him get beat up. I saw him on the cross. I saw what happened. That dude is very well done dead, Thomas basically saying. If y'all ain't put my hands in the side, I will know he's really alive. I love his faith. He's not doubting. He's not doubting, Thomas. This is, this is real life. I've been through pain and trauma. Thomas, one of my friends was just beat up and banged up and hung on a cross and buried in a grave. Thomas is not doubting. He's, he's in pain. He needs real evidence and real hope. And guess what? Jesus gives it to him. And so when you need real hope and real evidence and real life, he always gives it to us. And if you don't see it right now in a tangible way, but just think of the resurrection. Jesus lives, church. I'll say it again. Jesus lives, church. I'll say it again. Jesus lives, church. I'll say it again. Jesus lives, church. And so what I mean by that is every diagnosis that didn't go in your favor, it's okay. Why? He lives. 
Everybody that's died in your family that you love, it's okay. He lives. Every pain you've been through in life, it's okay. He lives. The king lives. And so our hope goes beyond what Paul is trying to say. It goes to what Paul's ended up saying. Hey, the glory will be revealed to us in completeness, and that glory is attached to the fact that Jesus reigns. I don't know if you're suffering now. When you suffer, whole point of the sermon of the sermon was the church and the world will suffer. Individually and together. We will suffer. Because of our own sin, other people's sin, because the world's just broken and imperfect. We will hurt. This will be hard. This will be, this will be the fight of our lives to hold on to Jesus. But if we can fully grab hold of he, and keep telling ourselves, he lives, he lives, he lives. He, they met on the first day of the week in the early church. Why? Because when he came out of the grave. So they, their, their gathering day was a, a physical reminder of he lives, he lives, he lives, he lives. So Paul's hope and Howard's hope and the, church, the hope of the Roman church and our church, it's all the same. It is the fact that Jesus lives and we will both now have the revealing of his glory, but in eternity fully see the revealing of his glory and be glorified with him, which means all the trauma your, ba- your body carries, all the nightmares your mind keeps like letting you relive, those will vanish. Isn't that incredible? The, the, they'll vanish. The, 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 the intensity of remembering the torment of remembering what you've gone through in life, it will go away. It'll be powerless is a better way to put that. It'll be rendered powerless. And on that day, whenever that day comes, we will see him. And remember, this is what we sang about every single week and prayed about and talked about and served for. It's him. And he is risen. I'm praying as we suffer and anticipate suffering in the world, as a church, and as just Christians in our individual lives, we would suffer knowing we shall be glorified. All of it leads to the glory of God in us and through us, to us, and back toward God, and ultimately to the one who sits on the throne. Worthy is the lamb who was slain, who was worthy to take the seal and open it. That's the one we're talking about. And that's the one who has your back, who loves you, who sees you, and promises that you will suffer, but it will all turn out for our good. Let's pray together. I can't imagine, God, um, Mary, I can't imagine Mary watching her son be dragged through the streets, the pain she felt, the agony she went through, I can't imagine. I can't imagine, God, what some of us have been through in our lives, the hurt, the pain has brought, the agony, the aching, the suffering, the confusion, the doubt, the fear, the anxiety, God. We live in a broken world, and God, you will know that, but God, you promise you will redeem this whole thing, that the dwelling place of God will be with man, and we will experience and see your glory. So I pray, God, today. Help us to remember Jesus reigns. Help us to remember you are for us and with us. 
and I pray that we would know, as John Piper says, not one ounce of suffering will be wasted. So for those who are suffering now, I pray comfort and peace, and I pray that a vision of Jesus. Those who have suffered before, and, they, and it's kind of coming up again in, in memories, and, and I pray you would help them to stand knowing, hey, Christ is risen in God. For us who will suffer later, as a, as either as a body, corporately, God, or individually, help us to know our hope is built on Jesus. On Christ, the solid rock, we stand. So I pray, Father, every word you spoke to us this morning would ring true in our life and our heart. And I pray that, God, when the time comes, you bring it back to our remembrance. And we would know you love us. You have forced and got all things, the bad, the good, the ugly, the fun, the not fun, it all works together for our good. And, God, that picture, when it's all revealed completely, is a beautiful picture. So, God, in advance, we say thank you for glorifying us. And thank you for being good, and thank you for being God. Bless this church in Jesus' name. Amen.